everyone and welcome back to butter with that a movies podcast where your favorite friends from philadelphia and elsewhere get together to talk about movies uh i am joined of course by my uh wonderful co-hosts connor christine and sam uh hello to all of you and hello to everyone tuning in we are rounding out our oscar spin-off theme where we are going to be tackling movies that either were nominated for the oscar this past year uh, or our movies that we selected for our awards episode. And so uh, we're looking for any kind of like loose connection to those. We're going to be branching off from those nominees and from those uh, the award winners to bring you some other movies within that same vein or from the same creators or cast. Uh, before we get to that, of course, checking in with everybody around the horn and seeing how everyone's doing. Uh, how is everyone? And have you guys seen anything cool lately? So it's just been a few days from when we last recorded, so I haven't watched anything. But I just thought I'd give a podcast recommendation while I've got your ear. Um, it's called The Rest is History. Uh, so it's two British professor historians kind of going through. They do mini series on events. So right now they're talking about the fall of Saigon, which I don't really know much about. The end of the Vietnam War, really harrowing stuff. Uh, so they incorporate quotes from people who were there and reporting and they also had an episode they had an author on talking about uh, the history of east of uh, east germany and she grew up there in the late 80s and so that was uh really fascinating so when at first like okay just some british guys talking about stuff but they do a really good job of bringing in kind of everybody's stories and approaching it from a critical historical lens and they cover anything from like the hundred years war roman stuff further back medieval china up to the present so the rest is history they have like 400 some odd episodes so Shout out there if you're looking for a history podcast um, and that, you know, you can kind of jump around with and don't have to follow in episode order. Connor, I'm definitely going to check that out. And I kind of like jumped when you said the fall of Saigon. So good news, everybody. I now work at the USS Midway and the Midway was actually a part of the fall of Saigon. It um, was a part of and, and <laughs> the only reason why like right now, because I haven't started there yet. The only reason why I know this is because part of my interview, they made me do a presentation about Operation Frequent Wind, which um, the Midway was used to go into Saigon to help rescue all these people. Super fascinating. I don't know if they mentioned that on the podcast, but I just want to say, cool history connect. And that has absolutely nothing to do with what I watched uh, since we last recorded, which is um, Tetris. It's on Apple Plus, starring Taron Edgerton and almost no one else that I recognize. <laughs> Wonder why you watched that one. <laughs> Um, it was really good. It kind of lost me a little bit because it's talking about obviously the game of Tetris and, um, the like publishing and arcade rights. And it kept going like back and forth, but once the movie found its footing, it was really fascinating and how Tetris got all caught up in Russia and the KGB. And it, it, there's so much to it. I was like, it's absolutely stunned by everything. So, um, I, I, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you dug it because uh, that's such um, an interesting story. Uh, so it's cool to say, oh, Taron Edgerton, Apple Plus. I, I heard it's pretty good. So I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. Definitely have to check it out. I have watched nothing. I'm so sad uh-huh. to report. Uh, my co-host can uh, attest to the fact that I was spending the five minutes before we started recording scouring movie work and figure out what I had watched and the truth is nothing but I'm ready to watch some more stuff I mean I did watch the movie we're discussing today <laughs> I promise which of course then brings us to the movie we're talking about today that being uh, a film from 2007 Andrew Dominic's The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford uh, it's a movie that uh I really loved in college and it was interesting to go back to on a lot of different fronts. Uh, it was selected for our Oscar spinoff theme in the sense that uh, Andrew Dominic was a topic in our awards episode uh, when we discussed our worst movies of 2022. And I brought Blonde to the table a movie that I still think is uh, completely dreadful. But at the same time, I've seen him do some really interesting work before uh, that uh, the movie we'll be discussing. So 
again, I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, really loved it when I first saw it. Have uh, maybe cooled on it a little bit, so it'll be interesting to get into in that sense. But uh, I know Christine's seen this before, and then Connor and Sam, this is your first viewing, correct? Yes, first time. Yep, first time. Okay, so why don't we start then with Christine? Because in our awards episode, we both mentioned that this is a really good movie uh, by Andrew Dominic, while I trashed his other most recent work. Uh, and I know you to be a fan. So what did you think about it going back to it this time? So, yeah, I had seen this movie, but I realized I have I had not seen the whole thing. I had not seen the last. Oh, really? Yeah, I realized that I had never seen the last, like, 35 or 40 minutes. Oh, like the best uh, parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And so that was really interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I think like my brother was like obsessed with this movie and we had it on DVD and like, he was always watching it and it was like, okay, I think part of like my like cinema, like this is cinema mindset of, yesteryear was wrapped up in like this being this like gorgeous movie and it so upon rewatch yes yes we had it was on heavy rotation it's a gorgeous movie and we'll talk about the great uh roger (laughs) deakins and how beautiful it is i think ultimately though um it's kind of like what is it all adding up to and actually the final sequences i think are some of the best as far as storytelling goes, some of the best parts of the movie, but otherwise it just kind of looks like a gentleman's lifestyle magazine. Like the whole, t- <laughs> like, 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 um, life, like men lifestyle stores that are all wood and, and like leather and like, uh, burlap and ha- have like nice, uh, hats and trimmings and shit. Like that's like Paul made and like beard trimming kits. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like men's boutique. That's kind of like what ultimately this movie kind of like amounts to in my mind with some interesting cameos, uh, and some interesting performances, which I'm excited to talk about, but I definitely, it was, uh, yeah, definitely interesting rewatch. And so I guess actually, before we get to Connor and Sam, uh, a little synopsis of this movie would be that, uh, Charlie and Robert or Bob Ford are kind of brought into the fore of Jesse James's gang, the infamous Jesse James in the late 1800s. Uh, this is a period where the James gang has uh, become known throughout uh, most of the American South, either as a kind of uh, quote unquote Robin Hood folk hero or alternatively as like a, you know, a scourge, uh, depending upon whom you ask and depending upon who's telling the tale. And they kind of become a part of his orbit at a time when the James gang is uh, decelerating, when they're disbanding, and when Jesse seems to be giving up that lifestyle uh, to an extent. We come to come, come to chart the entire journey through largely through the lens of Bob Ford, uh, his eventual assassin, someone who is a huge fan of him as a folk hero and as a mythical figure, but ultimately because of his own disillusionment and selfishness, takes up the opportunity to kill him on behalf of the Mississippi government and uh, ultimately comes to regret that decision. So uh, that kind of a brief synopsis of the film. Uh, Again, Connor and Sam, your first go around with this. Why don't we go with Connor first? Because I already know how Sam feels about it. And I'm very excited to get into that. So Connor, what did you think? So, yeah, I've never seen this before. I would say there were... Several things I really liked and many things I really disliked, I think is kind of where I land. Um, Ultimately, if you had to look at like a scale of zero to 100, it's probably around 50. Enjoyability for me, kind of like halfway there. But I recommend this two and a half hour wannabe Western epic to someone. Probably not, but I would recommend several scenes on YouTube to watch. I think is where I um, fell on it. I think one of the movie's biggest struggles is uh, scope and kind of what movie it wants to be. Is this, I mean, clearly it's trying to be a massive Western epic talking about some sort of societal shift at maybe shift. It kind of just doesn't really, if you're doing big epic, what are you saying about society? Or is it trying to be a, a Judas narrative kind of trope? 
um, of like, we're following the betrayer and we're trying to understand Judas or trying to understand Brutus, you know, like pick whoever mythical betrayer, you know, like legendary betrayer. And we're trying to follow him, get inside his head, but it's kind of not really that either. Or is it about Jesse James and what he means? Is he Robin Hood? Is he a scoundrel, a rogue, evil, spoiler alert, genocidal maniac, total, at least in my research doing it, uh, totally irredeemable figure, um, which the movie doesn't really challenge. That's the goal. Like, what what are the goals of the movie? What's the scope? Uh, clearly, incredibly ambitious. Um, some really great action sequences. I think my favorite part is the train, which I know Dave will get to in the beginning, the first train robbery. But I feel like my favorite parts of the movie were not the direction or the writing, which he also did as well. Right? I think he got Soul or Co. screenplay credit. Uh, wrote it along with someone else as an adaptation of the uh, Ron Hansen book uh, by the same title, which I read. Uh, yeah, it reads a little bit too much like a book at times, especially the, via the narration, which is very flowery, but a little bit maybe too ornate. Yeah, I agree with a lot of those points. It's difficult to pin down what this movie is intending to focus on. And Sam, this might tie into, I don't know what you're going to say, but it also reminded me a little bit of Legends of the Fall, another Brad Pitt, Big Sky Country, in terms of just like several superficial details. But I think that movie works a lot more because there it, its focus is on a family. And its focus is on a pretty um, plainly laid out emotional heart and beats and structure. So it was just interesting of like movies that visually share some similarities, also share Brad Pitt. I just thought it, it was just that was going through my mind like, oh, wow, I have a greater appreciation for Legends of the Fall and what that was able to accomplish in a similar ish setting compared to the assassination of Jesse James at the hands of the coward Robert Ford. Great title. Though. One thing I like. Yeah. Title. And apparently uh, it was uh, one of the contractual obligations when Brad Pitt signed onto the project, both as actor and EP, that uh, the title never be changed from the title of the book, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, Sam? This is your first time seeing this movie. What did you think? <laughs> first of all, Connor, I have to say that um, when you brought up Legends of the Fall, I was going to throw my beef away with this movie just to beef with you about that. Thank <laughs> you for continuing on and explaining why you would mention Legends of the Fall in the same sentence as this movie. Um, we we there, no beef no beef my my beef can be solely with this film i hated this movie i was physically repulsed by it um it took me like a full 24 hours to watch um <laughs> because i kept getting so bored i had to stop and it it was one of those movies where i thought a considerable amount of time had passed and i'd look and it would be 5 minutes 10 minutes and i'd be like come on so i think i chunked it up to like every 30 to 40 minutes i took a break because i was just i was that bored and so like really it's visually stunning and i think that we've said that before and there are a couple scenes that i think are really interesting and could have been something more in a movie that wasn't two hours and 40 minutes that is just if you're going to make a movie that long, it needs to be for a reason. And they never gave us that. I think that this is like a really, really predictable film. And right down to the title. <laughs> right. And, and the thing is, it, it's okay to be predictable. This is a figure that I, I definitely knew about way before I watched this movie. I grew up knowing about Jesse James. It's okay to be predictable if you spend the right time on it and throw in enough to make it interesting. And like, that's completely unearned. The, the length of this movie is completely unearned. And I just, I, it never gets to the point of telling me why. Why make this movie? I never got that answer. And Connor, I think that speaks to your point. Also, Mark Brandanowitz being in this movie really threw me off and how particularly disgusting he was. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Parson Rec was better without you in it, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> it's, um, you know, Sam, what you're just saying kind of reminds me of this movie feels like it's trying to do what Hamilton does, where in the musical Hamilton, Aaron Burr, it, you know, one of um, the great American betrayers, kind of that's how he's been mythologized. And the musicals from his point of view. And so they're about the same length at about two and a half hours if you ignore intermission. But by the end of Hamilton, because it's from Burr's point of view, 
you, you get where he's coming from. You get the historical kind of the through line of their whole relationship, which I know is a very different relationship than uh, Jesse James and Robert Ford. But that just made me like, like, what did you want to be? What did you want to do? Whose story did you want to tell? Jesse James, Robert Ford, the decline of the West, like in a game like Red Dead Redemption one or two. Like what, what are you doing here? I also, I feel like to both of your points, Sam and Connor, about the movie not quite deciding what it wants to achieve. I have no problem with, as you guys know, like the, a slow pace, especially a slow pace that's uh, set in a Western because mm-hmm. a lot of people are always sitting around and talking and walking out into the landscape and then walking back and then sitting around and waiting and be, and occupying particular domestic spheres. So those kinds of things I wasn't, I didn't really have issue with other, but it, once again, it felt like it was too glossy to want to convey realism as far, like, even if it, if the movie doesn't want to tackle a sweeping narrative of the decline of these sort of Western archetypes or the decline or like, you know, what like post-Civil War Southern sympathizer holdouts were doing in the, in the West, you know, things, things like that. It like didn't have anything to say about that, which is, I, I guess in a certain realm. Okay. If it's, if it's more of the like, uh, sort of everyday realism and dynamics of these characters. It's okay. It's like, okay, don't give any of the women characters any lines until like two hours into the movie. Fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once again, but it's much too enamored with its style and its look to really convey any sense of like desire for realism. And, and so that's kind of what I kept getting hung up on. Because it's just yeah. dudes sitting around, like, like <clears throat> infatuated with each other and then just like, or, and wanting to kill each other. And then that's it, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> and yeah, it does have that like slow burn, super slow burn Western feel, which isn't, you know, at, at odds with like the tradition of Western cinema at all. And can be really effectively explored depending on who you ask in films like Meek's Cutoff. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, when it comes to this one, it just feels like, it's it's alluding to that via its pacing and it's it's a story trajectory that involves a lot of moving pieces that intersect and ultimately build the narrative toward what we're meant to understand the sequence of events to be and how uh those disparate moments interlock and create the narrative but i think my big issue yeah as i, I as i kind of agree around the room is like it doesn't really seem to be saying much it kind of alludes to some things like it gets into some interesting things about like celebrity culture per se, like of that era, you know, you could easily compare uh, Robert Ford to someone like maybe like a Mark David Chapman or even like the Bjork stalker, which is in a sense, a little bit unfair. I mean, those were clearly like very unwell individuals as opposed to um, as opposed to someone like Robert Ford, who's clearly a little bit just more like self-interested to the point that it's it's smotheringly conveyed by uh, Casey Affleck. He says like several times throughout the film, "I'm destined for greater things," and that whole trope. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it really says too much about what kind of celebrity culture it's portraying. Like, I mean, it's it's the culture of a weird American mythology and myth making surrounding a Southern sympathizer and former like guerrilla warrior for the Confederacy. And you could do something interesting with that in like a contemporary context, but to play it so matter of fact in a way that it's weird because like most of the characters are painted in a pretty unflattering light, but Jesse comes off as like weirdly like mystical and is sentimentalized in that way, which I think is a little awkward and strange. Like it doesn't really feel like it's getting at anything. It's 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 like it's expressing like this, the toxicity of celebrity worship and culture without really getting into the weeds of the celebrity that's particularly exploring. If it had really, if the movie had begun with the bleed up to the assassination of Jesse James and then had really wanted to delve more into the aftermath, that I feel like would have been, as as the last 35 minutes or 40 minutes do, I feel like that would have made a really interesting movie. But it's like suddenly 
Andrew Dominic was like, oh, and there's also this bit that I want to explore. And actually, maybe I'm more interested in the decline of Robert Ford and him, him and the notions of performance and replaying this act that he's now known for over and over and over again. Oh, on and stage, which is when it gets super interesting and like almost like meta removed. Yeah. And that was such a brilliant part of the movie. So why couldn't that have been the movie? Yeah, <laughs> why that's did we my need thought now. Yeah, all of the rest of it because that seemed to be what the movie actually wants to talk about. Um, and by that part, I was so done with this movie. I was just like, <laughs> please hurry it on. So you know, Jesse James is assassinated, and then you still have like. 20 30 minutes left i was like what the fuck i couldn't believe it and yeah i do think that it is some of the most interesting bits of the movie but i i was so exhausted that i think that took me the longest to get through and i i think i had like 12 minutes left and i really thought of like i'm just gonna shut it off i'm just gonna shut it i'm done i'm gonna call it i'm gonna call it but I'm oh, wait, did you finish it? I did. I'm, I'm oh, okay. glad that I did because then I got to see Zoe Deschanel and I, I had no idea she was in it. I was like, oh my God. Okay. When I, <laughs> I was talk about 2007, you're like, oh, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess I, it feels like the main takeaway at the end is I murdered somebody that I looked up to. But I was a little disillusioned, and I kind of did it for the money. Aw. <laughs> and he gets shot in the face with a shotgun. Okay. Like, is that what the whole movie culminated to? Yes? That's what the narrator seems to be telling me. Like, I'm well, a I think it's, an idiot. Yeah, it seems to be a problem to me of pacing. Like, we spend so much time in the minutia of how we get to what it's driving at. That it it's like, when you finally get to that last 30 minutes, it's like, all right, this is the story that... I kind of wanted, why did we spend so much time getting here? And that really stood out to me this time. Part of me, so the whole voiceover narration really felt like I was also watching the Royal Tenenbaums. I thought that too. It was like, it begins with like, <laughs> Jesse James bought the house on Archer Avenue in the winter of his 35th year. <laughs> it's like, I was like, that would have been an intro, like if fucking Andrew, uh, Wes Anderson directed this movie and kept that boy it was like alec baldwin there the assassination of just for like a second i was like wait is it alec baldwin are we doing this again and and i was like that would have been a bizarre but i would have bought like that would have been an interesting take wes anderson's take on this movie but which which like the royal ten of moms which we talked about when we did that movie the voiceover adds this sort of like fable for uh, storytelling and fairy tale element to it. It situates the story not in in reality, but in this other world, um, which once again could have been really fleshed out in Andrew Dominic's telling of this story. But it it yeah was yeah strad- straddling fable and real reality uh, mm-hmm. in in contrasting ways in some ways i'm still not convinced that this isn't a parody and some part is because of that narration some part of it i mean at one point the narrator literally calls um bob a fucking loser i mean like not in so many words but he's basically like bob was a fucking loser loser. he blah 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 (laughs) yeah um that would actually be kind of great there is a part of me that's like, what if it is a parody? Because it's it's doing nothing else. And uh, I texted the group chat. I was like, maybe 10 minutes or something in, the narration is happening. And the narrator says that, yeah, Jesse James has this disease, which makes him blink more than any other person, blah, 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 blah. And the camera is just on him for like a crazy amount of time where he doesn't blink at all. And, and he doesn't really blink much throughout the movie. No. It's long, pondering stares the entire time. It's like, how do you mess that up? There's <laughs> even a moment where they talk about Jesse looking at Bob with melancholy. And once again, we're stuck in this like loop where he's not blinking and it's just like going back and forth. I was like, what? why? Why? Truly. Especially in a movie that took the time. Jesse's, uh, the real Jesse James, his, uh, the, 
I, I th- believe it's the middle finger on his left hand or his right hand was shot off in a robbery. And they take the time to CGI remove Brad Pitt's like the, the digit as we're watching the movie. So it's like, okay, you, you put the time in for that detail. Why didn't you also put the time in for the one that's like prominently featured in the narration at the beginning of the movie? And there's some line of like, oh, those penny novels, those nickel, nickel, nickel novels, they're not true. They're lies. But the movie does nothing with the idea of like mythologizing, except he gets a song written about him. And like, it just as, as we've been going in circles and circles, um, it just doesn't do anything. But some of these ideas, it just kind of throws it all and just and the audience suffers. Maybe a theme is don't be weird and don't meet your heroes. <laughs> Uh, that a big theme in it. Yeah, I would say, uh, at least the latter, although the first one is uh, pretty apparent in, uh, Affleck's performance. So I guess that'll bring us to the performances. So I will say that one of my favorite performances was actually, uh, Jeremy Renner's performance. I feel like he, his character, you know, is not given a whole lot to do. It's, it's, I wouldn't say his character has a ton of dimension, but for some reason I felt like Jeremy Renner's performance suggested a, a character that was way more lived in. Sometimes like Western Southern accents kind of just throw me off and like everyone's like throwing out their best <laughs> shot. But like, I felt like there was this sort of like lived in slept in feeling about uh, about Jeremy Renner's performance because everyone was, it was always like, Oh, Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck, like this is his time to shine. I was kind of watching, like rewatching this. I was like, I, I like really kind of, I think maybe I was more annoyed with the character than I was his performance. Uh, but definitely revisiting Casey Affleck's performance. He, he's got this sort of like swallowing his words, but not in an interesting way. Uh, about him is that description your letterbox review of how you just described casey affleck's performance <laughs> swallowing his words but not in a good way <laughs> yeah. like i don't know when swallowing your words is a good but it's like it's like was it a choice i don't know or whether because casey affleck kind of always talks like that but i wanted it to feel like the the things he was doing were choices and not me just watching him and his like different natural tics i guess I agree on both fronts. I think uh, I'm not typically much of a fan of Jeremy Renner, but I think he's very like in his lane in this movie and does a good job with a small part. Uh, I think Affleck, yeah, uh, I think it's very much a choice, but uh, one that's under considered moment to moment. It's like it's just like the decision that this is my tone the entire time without allowing for too much nuance. It's just always this stilted, awkward thing. And I think it's like functional because, like, as you said, it. It it makes the character increasingly unlikable, even though he already is. It's maybe a little bit too one note. I laughed in the group chat, Sam, when you, when you were like, oh, yeah. Or when you were commenting on the fact that Casey Affleck's character claims that he's 20, no, actually 19. And you're like, visible crow's feet. <laughs> well, this is 18, 18, 80, 19. That's like halfway through your life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I know you like he definitely probably aged rapidly, but there's no way he was 19. I found Casey Affleck's performance uh, downright reprehensible and incredibly disengaging, like actively the worst part of the movie. Uh, Stem to Stern. I think he sucks. I'm sorry. Say it. Um, Say it. I really think he's atrocious and whoever casted him should not be casting movies anymore. Um, And this is ignoring all the personal issues that he has um done to people that's just sure, sure. just watching the movie that he fucking sucks i'm sorry i'm just <laughs> i do not buy this boy whimsy like i feel like you want somebody who's a little like tom holland that energy of like spider-man i don't know about that <laughs> that dynamic of like young kid looking up to of course set in like the 1800s but like it's like like he's just like dude you're casey affleck you're probably 30 when you're filming that i don't know how old he is really but i just was that and then on top of his awful delivery of every line given to him except on the stage because he's like supposed to be kind of stilted 
at the very end when he's like in his own performance. So I thought there's like some good, but for me, I was just, I don't know if that's controversial, too harsh, but I stemmed a stern. I really I was so bothered by his performance in almost the whole runtime of the movie. I almost feel as though it conceptually suits the character, but it's, it's too, yeah, it's, it's not varied enough. There's not real depth to him beyond what's on the page because of his choice to just see it through, through that one speed. Well, and like, don't we want to see the boy crushed to become the man who kills Jesse James? That's Mm -hmm. what the movie's setting up. Where's the boy? We just got this, this fuck face. I don't know. (laughs) Sam, go ahead. I know you got a lot to say too. Honestly, you saying fuck face really encapsulates everything I was going to say. Um, I I don't know if it's good acting or bad acting. Either way, I didn't care for his performance. Um, part of what made the movie so repulsive for me was just having to look at him. And he just, he was so, like, greasy. And, and they all were. And, and it's of the time period, right? People ain't be bathing. But there's the, something in particular about him. He just, like looked like the color gray the entire time um his skin his just everything i was like oh god it's a chore to watch this man and then the the choices he made to bring this character to life made me so uncomfortable and i i think it's his teeth and his lips in particular and and i'm so sorry because like these are things about him that he can't change and and i like forgive me for for being rude in in this way but i like his teeth just really are unsettling and and i couldn't like overlook it in this movie and maybe it's a part of it i I, well i i think what you're 1880s teeth sam But none of the rest of them bothered me as much as his teeth did. I feel like what you're, and I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like what you're referring to is how locked his jaw is. Like there's so much tension in his face when he speaks, which is a choice, but I think it's a terrible choice. Just like for the whole, the whole movie. And I get he's like resentful little brother, Charlie. I love Sam Rockwell. I think Sam Rockwell is really good in this movie. He's very good. He's um, my favorite performance by far. And it's like, I get they're trying to contrast Charlie with Bob, but pick better choices. Or is he our protagonist? Is he our antagonist? Smart directors, smart writers can make those distinctions really interesting, like that quandary really compelling. Andrew Dominic cannot in this movie. Maybe it it can be interesting to muddy that water. It's just that this movie doesn't do that well. Right, yeah, that's what we don't. I'm saying he is. It seems incapable of doing it in this in this script in this movie. We don't need a villain because all of these characters are constantly. And what actually I liked about this movie is that every character has to constantly be pivoting because if you mm-hmm. turn on someone, you're going to be net. You're going to be shot like the next day and. I think that's such an interesting aspect of being a part of a crew like this, where you're sort of the, it's the collective effort of robbing the banks and, you know, killing the people you have to kill, but then you turn on each other and like whose alliances and allegiances like uh, are constantly shifting. But, and so, and so, yeah, we don't need any sort of buildup to a single, you know, villain or, or whatever. But yeah, I agree on all the uh, criticisms of Casey Affleck's performance. Now that he's brought up Sam Rockwell, I will say uh, his character was super interesting and his performance was wonderful, especially towards the end where he's watching his younger, as you said, Connor, his younger brother change. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, what's really his responsibility? Is he like supposed to yeah i guess like where does he fit in is he jealous of his younger brother is he supposed to be protecting him as all of the members of the gang are slowly getting wiped out essentially by jesse and i would have liked more of of charlie 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 Charlie. i would have liked probably more of, of charlie developed as a character 
Christine, I think you're right. Um, bringing up Jeremy Renner and Sam Rockwell, um, because I think that the like B characters are the best. I think that like they're the most interesting. I think they're the most well acted because like everything to not to go back to Casey Affleck, but like everything about that character just feels like really unearned. Um, but when playing off of Brad Pitt, I have to be honest, I was just like, that's Brad Pitt the entire time. And I've seen other things where I think he's done a great job and I haven't been like, that's Brad Pitt the whole time. This was just like, yeah, I, it, it's Brad Pitt. And, um, it was just, he, it wasn't well acted. And I don't know if that's like the direction he was given for some of his choices, but I was just really, really not impressed. And then, so in the many, many scenes that we get between Jesse and Bob, I'm just like, <laughs> someone save me. I always watch a movie with Brad Pitt and think that's Brad Pitt. I don't think he ever uh, like loses himself in a character, but I will say I thought I thought his performance was was good. Is is he brings menace at like a wonderful both menace and um, sort of softer you know family man element to it, uh, and I think that's you know the character as it's like conveyed in this movie is somebody who's this ruthless killer, but also was living this other life with his family and with his children. And I don't know. I thought, I thought Brad Pitt did a pretty good job, especially the scenes with the snakes. I thought that was a really, I mean, it's kind of on the nose to like have Jesse James, like barehandedly reach into a box of snakes and, you know, pull them out. And, but I do, I do think like, he handled you know it, that felt like a sort of a natural menace and then he like saws the head of the snake off and he's scared like i thought he was scary he's like has the charisma too of being this this really uh famous outlaw uh but also can pull off being feared so yeah i'll give props to brad i think my favorite scene with brad pitt is when he tells the story of how he killed ed uh, to Sam Rockwell toward the end of the movie. I think that's his when it's kind of like, like halfway, but it feels yeah. like the end because it's so long. <laughs> oh, you're right. Uh, as he's threatening Charlie, I think that's where you see the menace, like the, the interiority of him when Jesse is a character. It's, I feel like this is a really difficult role to play. So I definitely sympathize with Brad Pitt of uh, the way that he's this character set up in this movie is you're not, he is, a mass of contradictions. Um, and he has to play different roles. But the move, the script, I feel like the script does not do him many favors. And so when we lean more into the threatening side of Jesse James, it just seemed like Brad Pitt, maybe it's the direction, camera, just seemed, I thought those scenes were uh, way more effective. Um, especially that scene where he tells Charlie how he killed Ed. And that's interesting too, because the version he tells Charlie is different than how it happens. Cause we see a flashback as he's telling the story of actually how it happened. Um, so that's like, Oh, an interesting moment with great use of, uh, we'll get to the lighting, but great use of blacks, shadows, darkness, black colors. Um, so that scene, I thought he was really great in. And then just to see Sam Rockwell, just the, the color leave his face. And it seems like he's going to piss his pants. It's pretty great, too. And that's the thing. It's like it's there's so much interesting work that you could glean from this. Like you have Brad Pitt, who's a huge star in 2007, playing this famed outlaw. It could be a meta thing where like because he is Brad Pitt playing a different like contextualized version of Brad Pitt yet again, it's emblematic of that sort of celebrity status. You could weigh in more on like the yeah the oscillation between tenderness and menace, uh, which I think he does fairly well. Especially that scene uh, toward the end of the film where they're about to go on this last big heist, and um, he's talking about uh, how Bob should threaten the uh, the like cashier or something like that at the bank, and like literally has him by the throat, and then like immediately releases him and is like, "My God, what just happened?" and cracks up. And they all have to crack up keeping up appearances because they 
you know, have to soothe the like they have to create this familial atmosphere with someone who is objectively terrifying and could kill them at any time. Those moments are really great. But yeah, I don't think it. it yeah, it is. It's it's Brad Pitt wearing an accent. And acting well as the character, but it's still just Brad Pitt with an accent, kind but of. But isn't Brad Pitt from Missouri? I don't know. I feel like he's, like, a, from around those parts. Anyhow, but yes, I, like, wearing wearing a, like, character. <laughs> I totally, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, that meta aspect of that, the intersection of his actual stardom, by contrast to this mythic figure and how complex they are as a person, or so the film will tell us, I think it's a missed opportunity to not explore that in a richer and more apparent way. Do we think that the movie struggled? Like, is there, I I just couldn't decide if the movie wanted to tear down the mythology of Jesse James or kind of enjoyed celebrating it. Like it, cause there's Uh, inside more with the valorization, unfortunately, I know, which I do feel a kind of way about, but it's also true that he was a celebrated figure, albeit in a horrifying time in a terrible culture. But yeah, I, I don't know that it really does much with that. I just feel like it stumbles in trying to like, we're going to understand the man behind the myth, but we're going to enjoy the myth a little too. I mean, who doesn't love a good train mm-hmm. delivery? Sure. You know that I, so it's like, they, as we've just been saying, a million choices that could have been interesting, could have gone well, that just seemed to just fall short, I guess is what I'm getting to yet again, probably for like the fifth time in this, in this episode. <laughs> Well, how about the stuff that did work? Like, for example, Roger Deakins. Uh, He has said of this movie that uh, the train robbery sequence is some of his best work to date, and I tend to agree. It's an incredible sequence that's cloaked in darkness, but it's not just like it cuts to black. The editing really helps there, too. Like, we see, we know that this train is coming down the tracks from this distance, and we see Jesse looking on into that distance through the darkness, but it pans past Jesse enough that he's still in the same frame when it goes past him into that entire darkness. It makes it spatial rather than just a cut. And then when we see the train coming around the bend and the 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 light cutting through the darkness through the trees and obscured by the trees and how the trees shadows obscure other trees and obscure the figures awaiting this train it creates such an awesome momentum that is like jaw dropping that sequence is why i like this movie i think it's so beautiful and so haunting and all so i feel like this movie uses uh window framing so beautifully too Yo, even in definitely. shadow even even in the train sequence there are no windows but the shadows uh and the light dark contrast create these beautiful um illuminations and windows but one of my well i guess a couple of my favorite sequences are when jesse uh supposedly happens to ride by ed's uh house even though he's obviously going to kill ed um, but Ed is watching through the doorway, Jesse ride down the trail to his house and the beautiful plains with the, with the trail cut up to the horizon looks absolutely beautiful. And there's this like overlet, like this layering technique of the galloping horse coming closer and closer. So beautiful. There's another scene where, uh, uh, Bob is talking and then he, periodically looks out the window again on the land or maybe it's maybe it's the same scene in ed i don't know there there are multiple beautiful shots through windows doorways out uh, onto the landscape and just like fucking gorgeous and it also creates an interesting sense of menace they're always looking out at the horizon expecting something sinister exactly which is like the openness of the west openness of the west the constant uh like paranoia of being turned on or being killed. And this isn't framing or windows, but the, the scene where Jeremy Renner's character is about to come in and uh, try to kill uh, Dick little uh, for sleeping with his father's wife, the, sh- the like no music, just sh- pistol, 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 shot, 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 that shot, shot. Awesome. shot. It's really well done. And that creates such a, sense of suspense um and it's like sort of i don't know how they didn't shoot each other i don't know how they missed all that yeah that that scene was really good but sorry back to the cinematography roger deakins being an absolute 
amazing. And it, and it does so much of the heavy lifting to really like catapult you back to this time period. I think as people who live in 2023, it's like really hard to conceptualize and to fathom like how dark like backcountry is. Mm -hmm. And even as someone who grew up in the woods, like I still am used to a certain amount of light. And so when the train is coming and you're like, holy shit, like it is just black. Like if that really hit home. And then also the scene where Charlie and Bob are just like in the wheat weeds and they're trying to have that conversation. So gorgeous. And so like, what an interesting way to use the environment to help you. It's so fascinating. But does the cinematography do all the heavy lifting for this movie? Uh, no, because there's also this fantastic score. Um, that is uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. And he makes a brief appearance in the film as the... The sort of like, yeah, like the almost like vaudevillian, like a bar saloon strummer uh, that confronts uh, Ford at one point. Um, it's it reminds me of like Carter Burwell, but like depressive. Like it's it's got this like folksy and of era of the era it portrays quality, but it's still like grand and like timeless. And it's it that I think does a hell of a lot of emotional heavy lifting through the movie as well. I have this feeling, though, that like. Because I had similar issues with 1917 and how beautiful it looked, but the substance at times just wasn't fully there. And so I like, I feel like it's also the Deacon's curse. I mean, he's shot some like <laughs> through and through perfect movies, but like. I was going to say, he's worked on a lot of Cohen films. So that's, he's got that under his belt. No, it's not a curse. It's not a curse, but like, but it's like sometimes I feel like a movie can just be like, too eye feasty you know for like its own good um and it's like what what happens then because yeah that that wheat the wheat is so beautiful and you're like just oh i want to be in a bathtub in the middle of this wheat field uh and that that almost that's what almost also felt like the uh the beard wax like men's (laughs) boutique lifestyle brand thing kind of aesthetic but just so 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 beautiful you know i keep saying that this movie is like really unearned in a lot of things and and i stand by that but the one scene i think that is completely earned and i i really liked was the actual assassination scene i Mm. thought that that was so good um and it was like the right way to get the audience like the audience knows what's going on. Like he's doing this on purpose. And and it was like, he was like setting up his own death. So is it really right. an assassination? Is it really this? So I will say that that scene was brilliant. Yeah. That a great moment. And that of course set to, uh, I think it's the song, what must be done uh, on the soundtrack, which is a really affecting and slow score. And what is what, what, what in other hands might be like a more like, like riveting moment, but instead, yeah, like Sam, as you're saying, you get to breathe with it. You get to see Jesse kind of understand that this is what's going to happen and accept it, um, which is a really cool choice. And then we get into the final 30 minutes of the movie where it becomes, yeah, this sort of meta remove thing where like now uh, Bob and Charlie Ford are endlessly playing out this betrayal, this historic betrayal of one of their close friends, albeit someone who was going to kill them on stage in front of an audience who increasingly resents them for it. Um, that I think is really great, but yeah, I think on the whole and to kind of round things out, unless anyone else has anything really urgent to add, I think this is a movie that's pretty aimless, that is gorgeous, expertly scored and, uh, reasonably well-performed depending upon the cast, uh, member, but yeah, ultimately it was a movie that I really fell in love with the first time I saw it in 07, which as listeners know, is like my favorite year in cinema ever. It's, it's not a movie that I can appreciate with the same depth that I once did, but I do think that uh, through Deacons, Nick Cave, and um, Warren Ellis, there are some truly great things to be found here, even if the story and what it fails to explore comes off as a little disappointing. I don't want to like shit on Westerns because I think that Westerns are actually really fun. And I do appreciate that like nature and the genre of this film, but 
I think that, you know, as we've been saying over and over again, it, it, it was a movie that didn't know what it wanted to do, didn't know what it wanted to say about a figure that everybody already knew about. And so what, what I would argue is let's tell a Western by story that we haven't heard before. So I just want to offer up to folks, someone that you might want to look into. Her name is Pearl Hart. Um, she's nicknamed the Lady Bandit of Arizona. Um, she is... Uh, on record as um, someone who committed the last recorded stagecoach robbery in the United States. And uh, she would dress up like a guy, like a very young child when she would go about these robberies. And um, she was caught and arrested. And when she was, she escaped from prison. Her story is incredible, but something that I love that she said, which let me find real quick. Uh, so this article says Hart's trial took place in Florence, in November of 1899, when she insisted that the court had no right to place her on trial, saying, I shall not consent to be tried under a law in which my sex had no voice in making. So if you want to tell a story that hasn't been heard before, tell hers. And that's Pearl Hart. Ooh, who would you cite to direct that? Greta Gerwig. Mm, all right. Maybe, yeah, maybe that'll be the uh, the follow-up to Barbie, <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. Also, Sam, have you seen True Grit, uh, the the remake, the Coens uh, film? Yeah, and I liked that. Okay. I, I figured you would be into that one, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that will round out the assassination of Jesse James, Andrew Dominic, um, not quite redeeming himself here via our, our previous discussion, but uh, some some interesting ground to cover. We're going to be covering some more Oscar spinoffs as we continue this theme, so be sure to follow up. And be sure to keep an eye on the Movie John Podcast Network, uh, that a uh, podcast network that hosts not only us, but a suite of other really great shows, so one you'll want to check out and support. Uh, of course, until then, uh, have a good whatever, and we'll see you next time. This has been